Hello, and welcome to Ready and Newman's Daily Podcast, your go-to place for common questions about immigration to the United States. Ready and Newman is a team of experienced business immigration attorneys who handle a host of visa categories and complex immigration cases. This podcast will provide an insight into our daily free conference calls hosted by our attorneys, as well as discussions on hot immigration topics. Please note that information provided is not to be construed as legal advice for your specific situation and does not constitute an engagement with Ready & Newman PC or establish an attorney-client relationship. For specific advice on your situation, please contact an attorney. Here's your host. I'm a partner with Ready & Newman. I'll be conducting the conference today. Um, Shruti, can you start our first question, please? Yes, Ranki. Hi. Hi, go ahead. So, you know, last July, you know, we changed the status from, you know, H4 to B2 because of, you know, my spouse H1B expiry. And, you know, it's a treatment is going on. Okay. So my B2 visa is going to expire by this month 27. So if I want to move back to H4, so what are the options? Yeah, so the B2 is going to expire December 27th, you said, and your spouse is yeah, correct. Okay, your spouse's yeah. H1B has already been approved. Yeah, H1B okay. permit is approved and you know he, he came back to US again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can apply for the H4 change of status. So file the I-539 change of status application from B2 to H4. Make sure it's filed before December 27th. It won't be approved probably for like four to six months, but while it's processing, you can remain in the U.S. as long as it's filed before December 27th. Okay. Well, for example, if I get a you know, approval with the uh, start date after expiry, what will happen? My That's fine. Will... That's fine. fine. Yeah. In the interim, like from the time that you, from December 28th until the H-4 application is approved, you're considered in a period of authorized stay. Um, or on the I-539 application, what you can do is there's a question that says, um, the date that I want my change of status to go into effect, you can put December 28th, 2023 as that date, you know, so that you go straight from B2 to H4. And then USCIS is supposed to issue the approval notice with the December 28th start date, even if it's not approved until like March or April. You know, if we got approval, like, you know, after the, uh, you know, January 5th or something, is that mm-hmm. going to be a problem? No. Because it will be a problem if it's denied. If it's denied, then you will be immediately out of status. But if it's approved, well, then it doesn't matter when it gets approved, as long as it is filed on time. Okay. So okay. I can apply by change of status. Yes. Make sure it gets submitted before December 27th. I would recommend probably filing it online in that situation so that you get the receipt notice quickly. All right. Thank you. Sure. Uh, hi, Rebecca. This is Kranti. Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Rebecca, recently I've applied a B2 visa 
So USCIS gave me an option to reschedule my biometrics appointment. Okay. So what I got to know is uh, my passport is going to expire on December 15th, 2023. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to check the slots from today till December 15th. I couldn't get the slots Rebecca. So I asked my Indian embassy to renew my passport. So they told me that as I'm on a B2 visa, they told me that they can't renew my passport. So I'm in a, what I can tell, I'm in a hassle. I didn't understand is like what step to take. Am I clear to you, Rebecca? Um, so I can't speak too much about what the requirements are to renew the Indian passport, since that would be more you know, the Indian embassy's rules. As far as I know, it shouldn't require, you know, being on a B2 visa doesn't mean that you can't renew your passport. But um, yeah, I'm not sure about those rules. As far okay. as the biometrics appointment, you should be able to still attend the biometrics appointment. Um, oh, they Mike, usually... Um... They just need a photo ID and the biometrics appointment notice. Yes, Rebecca. Uh, yes, Rebecca. As I'm on a B2 visa, my driving license got expired. And the only ID I have now with me is my passport. So my Yeah, then passport... I would try to go to your biometrics appointment before December 15th then. Uh, yes, Rebecca. So I tried in uh, three ways. I went to the USCIS uh, office uh, visitor office back in Irving, Texas. So I told my problem. So they were not willing to listen to me. And they told under Did you go to the application support center or did you go to the field office? I've been to both. Okay. I've been to both. Has your biometric uh, appointment been rescheduled yet? It's like I have to, what I can tell, I need to reschedule it, Rebecca. Yeah, so, you can do it online. Yeah, I was trying to do it online, but I didn't get the slots from uh, today till December 15th, uh, right from morning till uh, 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. Uh, this was the slots I was trying to check, but uh, it's like it is showing that uh, we cannot uh, accept the slot or the date you chose. So that is a complication which is going on. So I just need a suggestion, Rebecca. I don't really have any suggestions for this particular situation. Um, all I know is that the main ways to reschedule a biometrics appointment is to do it online. In some cases, they accept walk-ins, and we have had clients successfully do just walk-ins to the local ASC. And if they are not too busy, they will do your biometrics appointment right then. It is usually... Um, you have a better chance of a walk-in earlier in the day um, when they're not as busy. Um, that would pretty much be my only suggestion. Oh, it's like uh, I've been to application support center. Uh, they didn't allow me to explain my case. And then uh, I've been to USCIS visitor center. So yeah, you, when... the USCIS field office will not be able to help you with that. You have to deal with the application support center because that's where they do the biometrics. Um, so I would just try again to the ASC 
because they might have different people there. Just let them know you've been trying to reschedule your biometrics appointment. The online system hasn't been allowing you to and ask them if they can fit you in that day. Don't go into all the details about your passport expiring. They don't care about that. Just let them know that you've been trying to reschedule your biometrics appointment. You're having trouble with the online system and ask if they can fit you in that day. Go early in the morning as soon as they open. Okay? Uh, sure, Rebecca. Thank you for your suggestion. Sure. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. This is regarding the H1 client location uh, change amendment. Uh, in the month of August, uh, my employer submitted a general application. It's been like three months now. So there is some international travel emergency coming uh, next week. I requested them to, to proceed for premium. So they did for like the premium, uh, I think it's a week back. Uh, since Monday, I see that uh, the status got changed to the premium. And uh, the question is, is it uh, uh, okay uh, if I travel next week in the meantime? Uh, because Sorry, I'm not changing my application? What kind of application was submitted? It's an H-1B extension? Uh, it's it's H-1B client and location change amendment. Oh, an amendment. Okay. Yeah. And my visa, it's valid until next year. And also, I'm not changing my employer. So just changing the client and location. So is it okay if I travel next week in the meantime? Yeah, so you don't need to go to the consulate, right, to get a new visa stamp? Your visa, yes. your yes. passport. I have, a, I have a visa yeah. until next year. So the payment okay. processing for a client and the location change. Yeah, then that's fine to travel while the application is pending. Um, the only kind of uh, hiccup that might happen is because when you come back in, the I-94 number that you receive at the border will be different than the I-94 number that's listed in your pending amendment application. And so the the amendment approval notice when it gets issued eventually will have a different I-94 number than the one from your most recent entry at that point, because you're going to get a brand new number every time you re-enter the U.S. Um, it's not a problem for your status or work authorization. The main situation we see it be a problem is if you're trying to renew a driver's license, sometimes the local DMV will say that they can't verify your I-94 because of an I-94 mismatch. Basically, the they'll look up your most recent I-94 number from entry and it won't match the one that you're providing them on the approval notice. Um, so in that situation, the only way to fix it really is to travel again after your amendment is approved and to it can just be to Canada or Mexico for one day. You go and come back with the amendment approval Oops. notice and then that will clear up the I-94 mismatch. Um, but otherwise, it's not a problem to travel internationally while the amendment application is pending. Everything is valid until next year. and uh, That's fine. Uh, this mm -hmm. is a premium process, so we just uh, submitted. So yeah, it's best, if, um, it's best if the application is approved while you're outside the U.S. and you can get your employer to email you a copy of the approval notice so that you... When you are re-entering the U.S., you are re-entering with a copy of the amended approval notice. That would be the best case scenario so that that won't result in an I-94 mismatch. But if you are coming back to the U.S. and the amendment application is still pending at that time, that's where that I-94 mismatch might happen. But like I said, it's a pretty easy fix if you're willing to travel again briefly. Okay, now like uh, I'll be back like after 45 days and uh, the premium process is going to... Yeah, it will be approved by then. Unless there's an RFE for something. Okay, got it. All right. So there's okay. I don't I don't I'm not changing the client and uh, the That's movie fine. Guys, but so no mm -hmm. issue, right? 
thank you so much omega back to you thank you himish hey rebecca uh, i have uh, put in my question in the google form mm -hmm. okay um let me see okay so as far as you know the perm is still pending at this time yep okay um yeah if they allow it to remain processing it should most likely be approved by february we're looking at about yeah processing time at the moment yeah that mm -hmm. could always increase um let me see do you happen to know if they would be willing to file the i-140 for you when the perm is approved yeah they said they will process uh, proceed with that if i'm employed uh, with them at that time okay or if or if i'm like uh, let's say i'm in my home country india in that uh -huh. case also uh, they will go with i-140 Okay, so either way, the company is willing to file the I-140 in yeah, like where yeah, or March. Yeah. Okay, right, right. It's just that I'm 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 trying to see if there's any other option. You know, I uh, if I can join another employer, and if you know uh, my perm stays valid, and uh, the other employer can file my I-140 if like if there is anything like that that can happen. Unfortunately, not. So the perm is company mm -hmm. specific. So okay. um, only mm -hmm. the company that filed the perm would be able to file the I-140 based on that perm. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Because yeah. right now what's happening is like I'm stuck with them. You know, there's, there is no yeah, other way that are. I can see uh, like other than getting rehired by them. Yeah, unfortunately, because of your H-1B max out. Yeah, that is, that is also a problem. At right yeah. around the same time. Um, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I would say that you are kind of, um, tied to this employer right now since your yeah. H-1B mm -hmm. out is approaching and the perm mm -hmm. is already in process with them. So if they are willing to file the I-140 for you, I would, mm -hmm. you know, do whatever you need to do to get them to file I-140 and get it approved, mm -hmm. um, okay. so that you at least can, and then you would need to stay with them at least six months beyond that yeah. I-140 approval in order mm -hmm. to mm -hmm make sure that I-140 is effective when you move over mm -hmm. to another company in the future. Sure, sure. Sounds fine. Uh, so uh, in order to increase my chances, I'm also filing I-539. Uh, so it gives me some okay. more time going in January, February. I believe that the job market might improve a bit uh, because of the new year and new contracts being signed up. Uh, one question I have is uh, my H-1 will end on, let's say, 60-day grace period, and then I move to B-2. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's say when I'm moving back to H1 again, will I be able to recapture that time or is it is it still counted towards that six-year H1 period? Yeah, I would say up until your 60-day grace period, like at the end of December, that is mm -hmm. still considered H1B time, the 60-day grace okay. period. Once you file the I-539 application, from the if you no longer are working from the day the mm -hmm. I-539 is filed, then mm -hmm. that can be considered B2 time that can be recaptured. Okay. So if you okay. if you don't have any particular prospects for another employer at the moment, or if you decide that you do need to stay with this employer in order mm -hmm. to um, get the I-140 approved, mm -hmm. it may be a smart move to file the I-539 earlier, like in the next week or so, even though you still have a month or so left on your grace mm -hmm. period just so mm -hmm. that you can 
stop the clock running on your H1B and give it a little more time. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sounds fine. Thank you, Rebecca. Sure. Ram, Ram. Yeah, I was speaking on mute. Okay. I was speaking on mute. Sorry. Okay. So, Rebecca, I posted my question on the form. So, my mm -hmm. green card adjustment of status has been approved. My EAD has been approved. So, okay. so there is a forex trading guy who's contact with me. Is in contact with me. He does all the trading. He just wants me to send buy the bitcoins and send to him. So, is it okay to do this, or is it going to impact my 485 approvals? Um, okay. So you have the EAD though. Um, so actually yeah. if you're using the EAD and you're no longer planning to stay on H1B or L1 or whatever your previous visa was, then yeah, mm -hmm. all of that is fine on an EAD. The main requirement for the EAD is that you are still maintaining a full-time job that is same or similar to the one listed in your I-140 petition, whether that's with your I-140 petitioner or with a new company. As long as you are still maintaining a full-time job offer that's same or similar to the I-140, then on the side, you can do anything else, you know, with the EAD. You can... So right now I'm on H1. Right now okay. I'm on H1. My H1 is valid until 2024, December. So on the okay. side, is it okay if I can do this kind of uh, training as uh, a uh, dealer? That's a, broker, a bit of a gray area. So if you are intending to keep your H-1B, so if mm -hmm. it was someone who was on H-1B only, did not have an EAD at all, um, mm -hmm. I would be a little more cautious for someone who was on H-1B only. Um, so the general rule is that as long as you are a passive investor, um, then yeah. investment is fine on an H-1B as long as you're doing passive investment, even if that is um, taking up a lot of your time. So day traders, you know, if you're doing a bunch of trading on the stock market throughout the day on an no, I don't do, that's considered I fine. don't do any trading. I don't do any trading. I just buy the Bitcoins and send it to him. So he does all the trading. Okay. I don't know too much about, um, Bitcoin buying and selling in the market there, but if, if it is basically that you're not really you know, doing anything in service of a business. If mm -hmm. all you're doing is kind of investing in something, selling it, yeah. mm -hmm. it sounds like that's fine. That okay, wouldn't, sure. you know, violate any H-1B rules. So it probably, doing that on the side probably would allow you to maintain your H-1B at the same time. Although um, it sounds like it's not absolutely necessary since you also have the EAD as a backup. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it should not be a problem, right? It doesn't sound like it to me. The way you're describing it, just buying it and selling it to someone else, to a third party, that's yeah. fine. Yeah, buying it and sending him the Bitcoin. So that's it. I'm just uh, transferring the money from my account to his account. Yeah, if you're not doing anything else that could be considered employment or a job. No, no, no okay. employment, no job. Just yeah. sending money. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Hi. Yeah, this Hi. is a question on behalf of my uh, sister. Uh, so she's in the U.S. on B1, B2 visa along with my parents. Uh, she's been here before in 2020 as well. Uh, she'll be flying back to India soon. Now, she intends to switch to an F1 student visa. And I wanted to check if what's preferable if, if she switches from within the U.S. or if, if it's preferred to go back to India and then 
uh, go through that process from India. Okay. Did you say that her B2 is expiring soon? Uh, the actual visa is expiring in 2026, if I'm not wrong. Oh, but like this, this current visit, was she given six months? Yeah. Yes, she was given six months and uh, the six months would be up in like 15, 20 days. Okay. Um, yeah. Has she already um, like applied to schools, spoken to she, the international student yeah. office? Yeah, she's applied to a school and she's got an offer in an email, but she hasn't gotten her I-20 yet. Uh, okay. Yeah, but she could like get her I-20. Okay, does it yeah. seem like she'll be able to get the I-20 pretty soon? For like the spring yeah. semester? Yeah. Okay. Okay, she yeah. Um, it is possible to apply for a change of status from a B visa to an F1 within the U.S. If she's going to do it from within the U.S., and the main thing is that she needs to file that I-539 application before her current um, six-month period of stay expires. Um, okay. So, you know, she'll need to file it in the next two weeks or so, definitely before her I-94 expires. If she hasn't seen her I-94, make sure she goes online and puts in her passport details on the I-94 website and prints it out and checks and, you know, verifies when her I-94 expires. That is her deadline to file the I-539 application. If, um, for whatever reason, in, you know, talking to the school or getting the other paperwork together, if it looks like she will not be able to file it by that I-94 deadline, then it's probably better for her to depart the U.S. before the I-94 expires and apply for the F-1 from the consulate. Um, okay. Because if she goes past the six-month um, duration without filing something and without departing, then then getting the F-1 becomes more difficult, whether applying for it here or from the consulate. If she has overstayed the visa, everything becomes much more difficult. Okay. Uh, assuming she hasn't overstayed the visa and she's able to file it in time, mm -hmm. uh, is there any difference if she does switch the switch from the U.S., like in the future, if she wants to travel to India back and forth, or does it really matter? Um, so if she gets the F-1 um, approved, filing it here in the U.S., then that will put her in F-1 status here. But then as soon as she departs the U.S., she will need to apply for the F-1 visa at the consulate in order to come back to the U.S. So um, the visa stamp from the consulate is always needed for entry into the U.S. So just because she got an F-1 approval within the U.S., that does not become her entry document. So it, if she right. gets the F-1 approved here in the U.S., you know, finishes the spring semester maybe, and then over the summer, if she wants to travel to India, then she needs to plan to get the F-1 visa stamp at the consulate in India before she returns to the U.S. to continue school. Right. And at the consulate, Oops. technically, they'll give some weight to the fact that she has gotten an F-1 approval, but they can do their own review. So she has to be prepared to kind of submit all the same application documents, proof of ties to India, proof of finances, all of that. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, thank you so much. Sure. Roshni, Roshni, are you able to hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Yeah, uh, so I'll put my question in the link. Uh, uh, okay, so do you mean that the employer wants to like withdraw the application without yeah. responding to the RFE? Yes. Okay, do you happen to know what the RFE is about? 
uh i i don't have any idea about that but yeah he told me that there's an rfp and they want to withdraw the application okay will that be okay yeah um it kind of depends on the reason for the rfp um basically if the rfp is is the government accusing the company of fraud or misrepresentation in filing the h1b application then even if they withdraw it, um, then there could still be a problem for future filings because then that company and potentially your brother becomes sort of red flagged and the government could look at any future filings again for if there is suspicion of fraud or misrepresentation. If the RFE is about anything else, if they're asking about, I don't know, his educational qualifications, if they're asking whether mm -hmm. the job really qualifies as a specialty occupation. If they're asking for anything else about the H-1B um, eligibility, for the most part, if they withdraw it and don't pursue it, then it won't have an effect on future applications, especially if it's through a different company. Um, you know, sometimes companies file applications and then their business needs change for whatever reason, the mm -hmm. job, they can no longer offer the job or they had to eliminate the position. So, you know, for any of those reasons, a company can withdraw an H-1B application that was already submitted, and there really isn't any penalty against the company or the employee, because it could be due to any number of business reasons that they withdraw the application. Like I said, though, if the RFE is about fraud or misrepresentation, then that suspicion is going to kind of continue, even if they withdraw the application. Okay, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, Rebecca. So Hi. I have one question. Uh, so actually, uh, my father had uh, incurred a overstay of around 13 months, like it was during in 2009, like his employer fired for a motion to reopen, but due to some, you know, due to some uh, communications, uh, like his employer was, uh, like his lawyer didn't send the petition. So. So due to this, we incurred a, he incurred an uh, uh, thirteen months overstay. Now I'm planning to apply for B two. So, uh, what are the chances of getting a B two? Okay. Do you know if the overstay fourteen months? Um. So that fourteen months was after the denial notice was issued. Yeah, after the denial notice was issued. So actually, his, uh, his employer, you know told that he's uh, filing the petition, like M MTR, motion to reopen. Yeah. Uh, so after, uh, like we got to, uh, and you know, his lawyer, uh, like we frequently followed up with the mm -hmm. lawyer and he gave a case number, but it is of the different uh, different person. And later we came to know that uh, the petition was not at sent. So my mm -hmm. father departed immediately once he came to know about this. So uh, within this time frame, uh, the worst day of 14 months happened. So, uh, so now I'm planning to apply for a B2. So what are the chances okay. of- Okay, um, and you said that this all happened, the overstay happened in 2009? Yeah, in 2009. And he has not been back in the US since then? No, no. Not no. in any status? No, no. Okay. Um, yeah, if the over, even if it was 14 months of unlawful presence, so um, more than one year of unlawful presence results in a 10 year bar against re-entering the U.S. But, you know, if your father departed the U.S. in 2009 and has not been back to the U.S. since then, you know, that 10 years has elapsed by now. So, um, yeah, technically he should be eligible to apply for the B-2 visa. 
He should be eligible to apply, although uh, there is a question on the DS-160 that asks about any prior periods of stay in the U.S. where you were out of status or unlawfully present. So he does need to answer yes to that question and explain the situation. So he definitely needs to disclose it on the DS-160. And in the interview, if he's asked about it, he can explain what happened. Um, it could still have an effect on whether he is granted the B-2 because in you know unlawful presence of that amount of time even if the 10-year statutory bar has elapsed, um, that amount of overstay could still have an effect on the officer's decision, you know, whether the officer believes he is going to stay in the U.S. only temporarily or not. Um, because the main thing the officers granting the visas are concerned about is they are, they want to determine whether this person is likely to overstay their visa when they go to the U.S. And so any history of overstaying is going to make that more difficult. So he should be prepared to show strong ties to India, that he still has, you know, his yeah. property, his residence, everything is in India, have proof of all of that. Um, it's probably best if he has a round trip ticket already booked and that the this trip that he's applying for is relatively short even though you might be eligible for six months during the visit, I would recommend that it be, you know, relatively short, probably no more than a month um, for this first visit. Um, yeah, so if he does all that, then, um, you know, he may still be able to get the B2 visa, but it's not guaranteed. But yeah, since it's been more than 10 years, um, he should be able to at least apply for it. He's not barred from applying for it. Yeah, sure. Like, uh, do I need to mention all this uh, in the DS-160 or is it fine? There is a question about it on the DS-160. Yeah. Um, I don't remember exactly how it's worded, but it does say, have you ever like overstayed or been unlawfully present in the U.S.? So he needs to answer yes to that. If that, if answering yes you know, opens a space to provide an explanation, he can add a brief explanation about what happened, that he inadvertently overstayed by 14 months in 2009 due to his mistaken belief, erroneous belief that his employer had filed a petition for him at that time. And then he can be prepared to, you know, explain it in more detail at the interview. If he still happens to have like the denial notice or receipt notice or anything yes. from 2009, he can yes, bring yes. that to the interview. Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay. Um, sorry, we will need to close the conference here for today. Uh, the next one will be Monday at 3.30 Central Time. If we weren't able to get to your question or if you have um, like a longer question that will need more um, time one-on-one -on -one with an attorney, you can go to our website, which is in the chat and schedule an appointment um, personally with any attorney there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ready and Newman Daily Podcast. We sincerely hope that you've taken something valuable out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information or if you want to make an appointment, check out our websites, rnlawgroup.com and immigrationgirl.com. Have an awesome day.